It's a mean age. But it is going to be a beautiful future as long as we don't get up. I'm Brian McWilliams, and this is Mean Age Daydream, where I bring you unfiltered comedy, criticism, philosophy, and politics with a Mean Age Daydream. Boom! What's up, puppy dogs, kitty cats, and all my lovers out there? I am here, Brian McWilliams, with the new Mean Age Daydream, and I'm joined by one... Reed Coverdale, read the weed. Can't keep him down. Keeps cropping up, man. <laughs> Welcome, Reed. Welcome to Mean Age Daydream once again. Thanks, man. I, I know I'm a little nervous about this job interview for being the new third leg of Lions of Liberty, but I'm going to do my best, and we'll see how it goes, and hopefully, I get the job. But thanks. For we on. we need someone more controversial to balance out Odie's blandness. So <laughs> yes, I think you're going to get the job. I definitely fit the bill for that. So. <laughs> well, I know it's so funny, like. You know, so we were just talking before we came on your YouTube channel. I was I was going to talk about how it got yanked, but you said you got it back. You know, again, read the weed. Can't keep it down. So you got it back. But what was it this time? Did they even tell you like what you got, what the violation was for that they yanked you for? Yeah. So what was weird, as you know, on YouTube, you're supposed to get a warning and then three strikes. And I believe a strike has a duration of about three months. So... Um, if a strike expires, then it goes away. And then, so it's not just three strikes in general, it's three strikes within a certain amount of time. And then your channel's gone. However, I'd only had a warning. I'd, I'd had one video taken down last, uh, October, I think. And Mm. that was it. And then I suddenly woke up the other day and my whole YouTube channel's gone. And I just have an email that says, we found repeated serious violations of our community standards on your YouTube channel, and we have therefore removed it. If you think this is unjust, you can appeal here. So I appealed, and I said, hey, what the heck? Um, first of all, you're not even telling me what video yeah. or videos um, triggered these violations. But also, um, I don't have any previous strikes. So even if I did violate it, it doesn't, I mean, it shouldn't matter. I should just lose privileges for a week, you know, like I shouldn't be able to stream or upload a video or whatever. And so I harassed them on Twitter and sent them the email. And actually within like three hours, it was back up. It was very fast. But then a couple hours after I got it back up, there was a video from, I think, July of 2021 where... Um, we talked about a thing that you inject into your body that you're not allowed mm-hmm. to talk about on YouTube. But I believe in July, that was still not against the terms of service because I remember I, I mean, some things like that certain ritual we have every four years that took place in 2020, like you were allowed to have skepticisms of that event on YouTube for a while. And then eventually Mm -hmm. they said, okay, you can't talk about this anymore, but any videos that you had made before that decision was policy stayed up and they were fine. And so I thought that would be the same with this. So I'm going to appeal that as well. But right now I'm just dealing with a strike and a week long suspension from streaming or uploading. Um, but uh, yeah, very strange, man. When I woke up, I was like, oh my, because I've been banned off of Twitter, which I had 20,000 followers there. And then YouTube, I have 10,000 subscribers. And so if I don't get Twitter back and YouTube is gone, I mean, there, I probably would have just quit because I mean, I yeah. still have Odyssey, Spotify, 
But I, as you as you know, I started as a YouTube channel. I didn't start as a podcast, right? Um, and then I eventually branched out to doing audio. So I was kind of thinking, wow, maybe because uh, I was thinking about trying to not necessarily rebrand the show, but kind of refocus more on blue collar uh, work and you know trying to. Uh, tell people how they can advance in their own lives instead of just endlessly pontificating about mm-hmm. war and civil liberties and whatever. Because you could talk about that till you're blue in the face, but right. nothing changes. Where if you talk about stuff that people can actually do in their own lives to make it better, you know, maybe you actually can make a tangible difference in someone's life. And so then I was like, well, I guess here's the perfect excuse. Maybe I should just start a completely <laughs> new show, not even just like redirect it. But I am, I'll tell you. I am sick and tired. By the way, I read shows called Naturalist Capitalist. Naturalist Capitalist, if you guys aren't familiar. I am sick of libertarians. All Everybody's all of a sudden, they're like, we need to stop talking about all this war and civil liberties because nothing ever changes. We got to start doing self-improvement. Like Mark's show, you know, talked about self-improvement. I know. Odie's talking about self-improvement. Ah, get out of here. I need to keep talking about bullshit. I mean, you know, my show, I changed because I, I also got sick of talking about... <laughs> war and civil liberties but that's where you know i'm trying to preach a, a positive uh outlook a, a, a different a different fairy tale of the future but yeah. you know what i was talking to robbie um you know robbie bernstein about the youtube getting pulled because our youtube channel gets flagged and striked all the time and they just have so much material to go through we constantly always have at least one strike and whenever one expires they slap us with a new one but to what your point about talking about the, the the VAXs or the election shit, I swear they go back and they will go after stuff that's like trending in current time, you know, with what an algorithm it is. So that's why they keep dredging up this old stuff. Like the one we most recently had our channel struck for and we had to wait 10 days to post was something about medical misinformation from an episode with Shane Hazel that Odie did. But for sure, you know, it was talking about that. But in the meantime... We're on this, yeah, we're talking about this now. And I don't give a damn if they pull pull my YouTube down because, you know, we've got like 6,500 subscribers and we get like 80 views a video because we're shadow banned. (laughs) So it doesn't even matter to me. But, you know, right now we have all this talk about blood clots. There are like all these reports about people dying that have been boosted up. All these concrete reports about the ill, ill effects of the COVID vaccine. And yet... They're still censoring this content. That's what drives me insane. I just, I just can't, I just can't believe it. Yeah. Well, you know, they have to censor things if they're false. That's totally how it works. Everybody <laughs> doesn't want you talking about things that are untrue. Like that's why they ban you for saying the earth is flat, right? Or that's why they would ban you for saying, um, you know, that the sky is red. They definitely would you, they would definitely ban you for that. They wouldn't just ignore you and say, ha ha, silly person. Right. Why would you say that? Right? <laughs> it's definitely how this all works. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, I, I know other people who have had stuff from like two years ago suddenly show up where, where I've had this happen is on Facebook. It's the suicide mm-hmm. meme with uh, Hillary Clinton. I mm-hmm. mean, it's from like three or four years ago and suddenly I get flagged. You are, and it's like, Saying that I'm trying to encourage people to commit suicide or something, and it's like, I'm, yeah, like, no, no, I'm trying to warn people that they could be suicided. It's very it's different. True. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a you know it's an action happening to them, not one that they would carry out themselves. <laughs> Completely different. Exactly. Um, but yeah, it, it the the rebrand thing that it is funny that you were pointing out how many people have kind of come to this realization. Um, I 
I still want to talk a little bit about war and civil liberties, but I feel like it's been the it's been like ninety eight percent of my content, and yeah. it's only reaching a certain group of people. Where I really want to kind of draw a larger group of people in, and then hopefully point them in a certain direction. Um, I think right. that's a lot more effective than just speaking to an echo chamber. So hopefully oh, totally. it will be different. Well, that's, you know, again, that was one of the efforts that I'm trying to do on this show, doing a little bit broad, more broader entertainment stuff and episodes that are just focused on entertainment content. But also it's why, you know, I do this other comedy podcast, the boring podcast that was specifically launched just to do something that was more or less non-political to try to reach a broader audience. And that show, I was hoping it would take off. It has not taken off as much as I would have liked. But still, the idea is that, yeah, you want to have stuff be more approachable to people where it's not just being yelled at or whined at and, and you know, depressing and down all the time. It's something that people can go, all right, I get this. And now I like this guy. And now I'll listen to him. I mean, that's the, that's the overall content. But I also, you know, I was thinking about, right? So we get so frustrated with people not not changing. You know, the world seems to keep on trucking along. But then I also have some hope for the future because Twitter right now with Elon Musk in charge, right? He's releasing all these documents about the censorship, about Hunter, Hunter Biden's laptop, about the censorship, about election 2020. And you know, even Donald Trump's tweeting about, well, it looks like, looks like you can question it now because Twitter's not going to censor you anymore, whether the election was stolen. Do you think that there's going to be more power in the hands of people like us to change people's minds now because Twitter is going to stop censoring so much. And that is basically right now the biggest public square. Yeah, I'm, I'm still skeptical about how much censorship is being rolled back. So I there have been reinstated accounts for a lot of right wing figures. But outside of that, I haven't really seen a huge change in the actual structure of Twitter. I mean, there's still people getting banned for saying dumb stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then a lot of people like Dan McAdams isn't back on Twitter. Um, I'm not back on Twitter, obviously. You know, yeah. lots of people who definitely should be reinstated. Um, and he was talking about a, a massive general amnesty to everybody who hadn't broken the law or committed egregious spam. Mm -hmm. Um, and then he said he was going to do it and I haven't seen that really happen. I'm, yeah, I've not um, seen that either. And so, so with all this stuff, like, I think, you know, it's a little ridiculous to act like things aren't any better than they were or that they were better. And now he's making it worse. I think that's a bit of a ridiculous statement, but I think our job as libertarians and free speech advocates is to kind of hold him accountable to what he said he's going to do. Like I, I see a lot of people excusing away his actions. And to me, that's dumb because I never want to excuse away anybody's actions. I always want to be holding their feet to the fire. You know, like uh, Tulsi Gabbard uh, came mm. to New Hampshire and endorsed Don Baldock, who's an awful warmongering psychopath. Yeah. And a lot of people that I know who had supported her in 2020, like I did, they were trying to like argue it away. Well, oh, well, no, she's doing this because of this. And maybe we should give this guy a chance. Maybe his mind has changed in the last three weeks about Afghanistan and, you know, uh, uh, Ukraine and Taiwan and everything. It's like, no, guys, come on. Like these are politicians and we should always be extorting them and threatening them to not support them again. Um, and, you know, just holding their feet to the fire all the time. I mean, that that in my mind is what we should be doing with all these celebrities, all these public figures, all these politicians. 
But a lot of people love to, you know, have a they, they love to have an icon that they can kind of rally behind mm-hmm. and act like that person is, you know, the ultimate good or the ultimate truth. Instead of like really clinging to an idea, they have to cling to people. And so if you attack those people, um, a lot of their supporters view that as an attack on the idea. And so they'll Yikes. defend it at all costs, even when that person is very inconsistent and not following through on the things they say they'll do. So I don't know. I, I get a lot of hate for it, but in general, I feel like that's one of my roles is to constantly kind of, um, you know, push back and hold people accountable. But I don't know. I mean, I hope that things do loosen up more and more and I hope that there is more free speech. And if there is, um, man, what an opportunity because they really rely on censorship. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. their, their ideas don't hold up. Uh, the establishment, the warmongers, you know, none of their ideas are good. None of their policies have worked. Um, you know, and the, the, they were telling us for months that inflation didn't exist and then, it, oh, it was transitory and then, oh, it's actually good. And then it's a good and, thing. Yeah, you know, never I mean, it's a good so thing. The only way they could get away with all this stuff and acting like it never happened is through censorship. So if, if there actually becomes a level playing field, they're done for. They're, they're absolutely done. Well, I thought it was pretty interesting that Elon Musk. So he, you know, he's, he's released the Twitter files, and then he's he also and let me let me pull this story up so I can actually quote him directly. But he also pulled up something where he was talking about how he thinks something bad, the likelihood of something bad happening to him is very high. Is is what he? <laughs> it kind of reminds me of um, uh, John McAfee style. You know, where John McAfee was like, if anything happens to me, know that I didn't kill myself. There's a secret file. Although, where the fuck are the McAfee files, by the way? I was promised a trove of information to come out from John McAfee after he died. And I've seen jack shit. Maybe his, you know, his stripper wife uh, sitting on it, you know, trying to pitch a movie. But Elon Musk said, at the end of the day, uh, here's a quote. At the end of the day, we just want to have a future where we're not oppressed, where our speech is not suppressed. And we can say what we want without fear of reprisals. Frankly, the risk of something bad happening to me or even literally being shot is quite significant. So he's saying, and I don't know if he means because some, you know, some crazy left wing nutball, which of course the left has lost their mind and turned on Elon Musk, if they're going to come shoot him or if he's saying that politicians, you know, somebody in the government, the Hillary Clintons are going to Arkansas him type of thing. But that makes me think that, Again, we're on the right track. You know, the fact that the Biden administration brings up that, oh, well, we, uh, we might just have to investigate this Elon Musk guy right as he's freeing up speech and allowing people back in the platform makes me think that things are going on the right track because the elites are freaking out and threatening action. And they just, by the way, started investigating Neuralink, which is, you know, his transhumanism thing for, I don't know, animal abuse. But the timing couldn't be more perfect. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, what they will view as a threat sometimes to me is confusing. Like, why would you and not necessarily with Musk, but in the past with like like with Trump, like, um, you know, the establishment obviously has this intense hatred for Trump. And I've always kind of wondered why. I mean, because I know he's a got a little bit of a renegade spirit in him here and there, but for the most part, I mean, he 
does whatever they ask him to, you know, like he'll, he won't. He did. I mean, he did I, do everything they asked him to. I'll posit um, this theory real quick. You say, I, you know, I think they hate him because they see themselves reflected so incredibly strongly in him. It's just that he is not quite adept at keeping up the facade to the public. Right. But he exposes true. like he is everything, yeah. you know, politically he's connected. He's got the money. He's still obeying all of the big players. As you said, you know, big pharma, military industrial, he's still playing the game, but he can't keep up the facade and they're looking at him and it's showcasing them exactly what they are, but they pretend not to be like, they won't allow yeah. themselves to realize every one of them is Donald Trump. Very true. Um, I just think it, it's kind of similar it, it, or it could be kind of similar with Elon Musk, like all these people freaking out about stuff he's going to say, um, where, I mean, Elon uh, obviously is not a free speech champion. I mean, with some of the things he said lately about like not allowing Alex Jones back on and then the reason he gave is because yeah. he profited off the deaths of children and it's like. How many people who are still on the platform have profited off the deaths right. of children? Like, give me a break. Um, so, I mean, Balenciaga the, probably stole an account. You know, there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, the, it's amazing to me, like who is considered a right wing extremist or a threat to the establishment. Like Joe Rogan. I mean, talk about. I mean, he is an interesting person so far as you know all the people he's talked to and all the things he's done and a lot of skills he has. But when it comes to his political opinions, he's about as boring and as normy as you can get. Like he's just, yeah. he's just like an old fashioned liberal kind of like, Oh, I don't know. Like, um, but he has been called a right wing extremist by, you know, the, the, the mainstream press by the left. And it's just like, what are you guys talking about? Like this yeah. guy? I mean, he's just a, he's just a stoner who sits there and says, huh, tell me what you think about this. Oh, that's interesting. What about this? That's all this guy is. And he's like the biggest threat in the world to you. So it is funny to, it, it is funny to just see the reaction that these people have to people who I wouldn't necessarily consider like to be huge renegades or people who are trying to destroy the system and tear it down. But hopefully I'm wrong about Musk. Hopefully he is like, I'm willing to, you know, like I said, I'm holding his feet to the fire, but I'm, I'm still willing to, uh, you know, give him a chance. I mean, if he proves me wrong, great, that would be awesome. Well, I think it's uh, the crux of it's going to come down to, and this is something I'd said, uh, on the episode that aired on Wednesday. Um, the problem is he paid $44 billion for Twitter. So unless he's willing to, you know, be, and he can afford to just eat that money. Let's not be, you know, he can definitely afford to do it, but unless he's going to be a Samaritan, that's just going to say, okay, I'm going to fight for free speech flat out and not worry about making a profit out of Twitter, which doesn't seem to be the case. That's where he is going to have, you know, it's the rubber hit the road. If he wants to make it profitable, probably advertisers are not going to want to be on the platform if it's just the Wild West like it once was in the beginning, where you right. could say anything. So I think there's always going to be some restrictions on that. You just have to hope that it's not going to be covering, you know, not content-related censorship and more focused on, okay, you're not allowed to call somebody the N-word, you know, or something like, right. you know, something like that where you go, all right. This is going to be something you're going to get flagged for, but, you know, have the rules be completely crystal clear. Right. Yeah. That's the thing is Twitter had this amorphous censorship rule, which is obviously it come from these Twitter files, obviously based purely in the opinions, the political biases of the people that were running it rather than look, this is the narrow silo. Don't touch this third rail and you'll be fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's um, uh, it's interesting seeing free speech platforms claim that that's what they are. 
and then going and testing the waters as you remember about a year ago when um, yeah. uh getter came out saying they were a free speech platform yeah. i was like really huh let's go test this out let's go find out and it, it didn't take long to get posts removed um right but um the free speech thing is interesting because there's the first amendment and then there's like if a company is calling itself a free speech platform that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to follow the first amendment because the first amendment is explicitly about the government not Mm. creating laws to control what people say that's all the first amendment is about the first amendment has nothing to do with twitter has nothing to do with like you know if my company fired me because i called one of our customers the n-word that is totally within their rights. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they're, um, it, it's not like the first amendment has been violated because I signed a contract with them and, you know, whatever. But, um, if my company that I work for advertised themselves as, Hey, we believe in absolute free speech and we'll do nothing to shut people down. Then I could be like, Hey guys, like maybe I shouldn't have said this, but you advertised yourselves as a right. company where I could say whatever I want, as long as I wasn't directly inciting violence or, you know, all these terms we agreed to. And that's what Twitter is, uh, you know, trying to brand itself as though that's what it's doing. It, it, you know, if Twitter is going to, um, really become a free speech platform, it doesn't necessarily just mean that the government isn't going to have any control over what people say on it. It means that. They're taking an extra initiative to say, we're not going to, we're going to not be like the government either. And we are also not going to censor anything you have to say unless you're directly inciting violence. Um, and a lot of people have, you know, a lot of people are confused over that. Like when Facebook is sharing your private information that you've sent through messages, you signed an agreement when you joined Facebook that Facebook basically has the right to anything that you post on the platform. And so I hear a lot of people saying like, this violates the constitution and we need to, it's like, no, 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 it, it just doesn't. So it's, it's a, it's a funny conversation and interesting place to go. And, um, there, I have not seen like, I, I think Gab is like the closest thing to a free speech platform that exists and like nobody uses it. Um, no. and the thing that sucks is it's where all the Nazis end up. And then the other thing is like, um, you know, if you get banned off of Twitter, uh, you are pushed into a corner where you can only talk to a certain type of exactly, person. Man. And then all that does is, you know, tempt you to start thinking that way and start saying things that are going to attract them more. Yep. So anyone who's pushing for censorship, you are literally pushing people to become more radicalized, to grow their followings. It's just stupid. It's all. Yeah, it's precisely all right. Well, I mean, now Parler is definitely a place uh, you should be able to at least talk about the Jewish cabal. I mean, Conway's <laughs> did buy Parler, so there's a safe That's there's true. a safe haven for all of you out there, <laughs> all the Nazis out there. Um, what you so know, just pivoting over because I wanted to talk about this uh, topic. I thought it was so funny. I was just laughing. The New York Times, right, went on a one day strike, which is kind of like, all right, jerk offs, one day strike. Put your balls out there and be uh, be men. Which I would just, you know, I was just saying management, here's your opportunity to lock the doors, get all the psychos out and start anew, actually redeem your, uh, your brand. But the funny thing was, nobody seems to give a shit. Like, there's this uh, article I read, 26 people watched the USA Today. USA Today televised the New York Times strike on site with a video and 26 people watched it total. So what does that tell you, right? I mean, I, to me... Wow. 
Yeah, exactly. To me, that means, number one, the New York Times, the brand is definitely waning. And I think that also, I think mainstream media brands overall, especially as you see people wising up to what's going on with censorship, right? Because half the reason that censorship is such a big thing and that these big news organizations are fighting for more censorship against quote unquote disinformation is so that they can have a monopoly on the narrative. And of course, since so many of them take their marching orders from, you know, government, military, pharma, et cetera, that's what they want the, the one silo of information. But seeing people just not give a fuck that the New York Times is on strike gives me so much joy in my heart. And again, makes me think that people are finally making the pivot away from mainstream media and looking to social media for their news. Like that is the hub now. The hub is podcasters. The hub is like you and me uh, sharing news. Yeah, man, I, I really want to believe that. But then you have the election that just happened a month ago. And it's just like, what? Like, I thought people weren't listening to this stuff anymore. I thought people had yeah. like broken out of the bubble and were questioning everything because of the lockdowns and every all the lies they've been told. And then apparently that wasn't the case. Yeah, <laughs> you know, apparently not. Amazing. I mean, I was I was also really confused by the election results because I uh, similarly I thought there would be not that a red wave is necessarily the greatest thing because, right. you know, again, both shitty, but better than the blue. And to your point, I also was kind of blown away by the fact that people didn't absolutely revolt over inflation and COVID. I guess maybe abortion, people were still like, well, I want to kill my baby. But, you know, otherwise, I just I couldn't believe it either, man. But I don't know. Fear is a powerful drug. And it goes. I think it's two things. It's it's fear and that memory of what it was that's just hard to let go of. And, you know, it's like my bad people theory, which I floated out, you know, a ton of times before, which is that. If you went along with all the bullshit, if you if you believe the lies, if you turned your neighbor into the fucking COVID police, if you were cheering for vaccines and people to be you know fired for not taking them, then you, after watching the carnage, watching a third of the the streets on your you know on your block lose their stores, you are a terrible human being. Like you are a piece of garbage, and these people aren't ready to admit that yet. They're not ready to look in the mirror and be like, I'm a fucking piece of shit. And vote the other way and be like, I was wrong. I seriously think that a lot of people are just still in that mode of, of, of like latching on to it. They just can't believe the truth. Yeah. See, this is why I actually don't believe that the 2020 election was stolen. Um, and I've drawn the ire of a lot of, you know, anti-establishment people because I don't sign on to that. And it's because of what you just said right there. I don't think they had to steal it. Like, I think people are brainwashable enough and just, you know, willing to be led enough and not think for themselves enough. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, out of any excuse people want to uh, create for why that election should have gone a different way, saying that people would not vote for Joe Biden because they're smarter than that mm -hmm. is not an excuse <laughs> that I buy. I'm like, ah, sorry. Whoa, 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 whoa. Like we are not talking about the same group of people that I've been witnessing <laughs> over the last few right. years. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I know people in my own life who would not visit me or not like be in the same room as me just a year ago because I wasn't vaccinated who have now just moved on and it's all gone and forgotten and all the policies they advocated for, you know, are mm -hmm. just kind of swept under the rug. And so, yeah, I don't think any of that is, um, 
I, I don't think any of that is going to be correctly reconciled. And it's tough. Like some people I think belong in jail for life. And then other people, I think they were just duped into it. And I don't really know, like, you know, if there's anything we could do about that. I mean, there's been so many things people have been duped into like the war in Iraq, like think of how many people supported that. And that mm-hmm. was a huge mistake. And I mean, what happened to them? Some people definitely belonged in prison for that. And then other people is just like, well, you know, you listened to some propaganda and you got swept up in it. So it's a hard healing process. I'm, you know, I, I'm trying to evaluate it on a case by case basis based on different individuals and how uh, they acted and, you know, what my reaction to them should be. But it, it's very, uh, it's very weird sifting through all of it. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Talk about propaganda. So, you know, you obviously are involved in the uh, Libertarian Party in New Hampshire Twitter account and coming up with some of the messaging there. What have you found has been the most effective trying to shake people out? Like, I know you guys, you like to do stuff that's going to be a little bit more shocking to people, an aggressive strategy. Has that been working out? Like, have you had had people react positively and be like, you know what? I never thought about this this way. It's kind of because it's like one of those things. There's two ways to go about it. The gentle persuasion of, you know, like with why I try to do a lot of this shows, I'm, I'm working on the more positive, like we're selling them a vision of the future that that they can buy into. Basically, the liberal promise of like a better world, right? That's what I'm trying to work on. But at the same time, there is that like cold water in the face, give you the backhand, you know, wake the fuck up. And I think that's what you guys are doing more of. So what's that response been? Like, are you seeing a, are you seeing a positive response? Are you seeing growth and people kind of shaking up? Yeah, so I think um, the most effective tweet was the Megan McCain tweet. Mm-hmm. Um, because what that did was that evoked an emotional reaction from thousands of people, thousands of people who would have just ignored a Scott Horton thread about the war in Yemen, or even a Dave Smith clip about how bad uh, the Saudis are, or whatever. Like, um, yeah. and just, uh, just to, for context, for those of you who haven't seen the tweet, basically yeah. it was a tweet with Megan McCain standing over uh, John McCain's gray, or, uh, casket, right, with the American flag on it. What was the exact phrase on it? Just that he happy it was like, holidays, happy, yeah, happy. It was holidays. the it was the anniversary of his death. So right, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> there you so go. like you can even have like Dave Smith doing an epic rant about how bad the genocide in Yemen is, and that will you know I mean a lot of people did see that, like millions of people saw that on YouTube. But if you posted mm-hmm. a clip on Twitter. I don't think it would get international news and like, you know, get the, be the topic of discussion for two days across the country and, right. you know, cause all this crazy havoc that ensued. Cause, cause what that does, oh, that gives us a, uh, an opportunity is people are responding with emotion. And so they're no longer thinking in an ignorant way of like, just ignoring some statistic that someone's posting. They're just angry that you would say that. And they're like, why would you say that? So they're already Mm -hmm. all flared up and angry about it. And then that's the perfect time to show them a video of an airstrike where a bunch of people get killed and a kid is pulling himself around on the floor with his guts coming out behind him because they're already all flared up and all emotional. Mm -hmm. And then you show them that. And for a lot of people, it did open their eyes. They're like, oh, now I see it. So that it doesn't work with everybody. It definitely turns some people off. Um, it just, you know, doesn't work at all on some people. Like they, they just feel the same way about us that they always have. It's just confirmation bias. 
But in New Hampshire, we are really trying to attract a certain type of person. We're really trying to attract the kind of hardcore based libertarians. And I'm specifically talking about the libertarian party in New Hampshire, like the free Mm -hmm. state project in general envelops a lot more than just the libertarian party uh, in New Hampshire, libertarian party in New Hampshire. We're just really going for the renegades. We're trying to create a rabid base of libertarians there who are basically as rabid as the progressives who are destroying our country. You know, like we think we need an equal force pushing Mm -hmm. back on that. And it's not for everybody, but uh, it is effective at, on social media. I mean, we have by far the most impressions out of any mm-hmm. social media account for the Libertarian Party state affiliates. We're the largest state affiliate by thousands now. Uh, we make the news on a regular basis. You know, they write about us around the world, depending on what we tweet. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we've like carved out a place for ourselves it's, where it's appointment viewing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if something happens, I know that there are journalists watching the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire to wait to see what we have to say about it. They're like, okay, what are they going to say right. this time? Yeah, you know, yeah exactly. Go, so. I mean, no, exactly, man. And that's where, you know, people were calling on Angela and, you know, this thing, oh, we need more top down control over the individual parties and all this shit. And to her credit, you know, she was like, no, we're not, we're not going to do that. That's not the way we operate. And I actually love the model of, yeah, let each, let each, let each state operate its own social media because that's the way. You're going to find, find, number one, what works more effectively by saying, you try this, you try this, you guys are doing something very unique out there. And it does seem to be working. As you said, you know, there's always a, me working in PR. There's the the upside and the downside. You know, there's the old phrase, any PR is good PR. And to a large extent, I agree with that. But it is fascinating to see, like you said, people that you're giving them the opportunity to engage in a different way. And sometimes that outrage, especially on something as, like you said, as emotional as war, as emotional as, um, you know, somebody dying, the vulnerability and the anger can be flipped. You know, that's the old adage. It's a thin line between love and hate. And you can find people in cracks with cracks in their armor because they are coming at you in a vulnerable state where they may not have their armor up because they're just not thinking that way. Whereas if you're having a, a rational discussion with somebody as, as much as you can with some of these people, their armor's already up. Their arguments are already stacked, right? They're not going to be open to having that dialogue rather than, as you said, an emotional engagement. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, you know, if we're going to advertise ourselves as the decentralized revolution, then we should have a decentralized approach. Um, as long as we're all selling the same product, I think different advertisement techniques should be welcome, especially for Geico. They got the lizard and the caveman. Look at that. Fantastic. They got a TV show out of it. It failed. (laughs) Yeah. You were, Um, you were one of the cast members. I'm looking at you right now. I know. I I should have messed my hair up a little bit more. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean the, uh, you know, at this point in the game, when we have like such little impact on the general zeitgeist and the, the uh, direction of discussion in this country, we should be throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. Uh, You know, just trying to be the party of principle for 50 years obviously hasn't worked. I mean, it's got us nowhere. It's actually gone backwards. You know, like we Mm -hmm. have had small electoral success. We got uh, electoral votes in like one of the first couple uh, nationwide elections that the Libertarian Party participated in. We got higher percentage um, you know, just a couple elections ago and we've gone backwards. And then this latest midterm was just, you know, 
trash and you know mm-hmm. so like I, I feel like uh, anyone who's saying stop what you're doing doesn't work unless it's the thing that we've been doing for the last 50 years I don't think we really know at this point you know like should we yep. be funny should we be aggressive should we be um creative like what I mean I, I think it's kind of an all the above approach and let's see what works the best but mm-hmm. if we're seeing what works the best for social media messaging, I think it's kind of undeniable that ours has been the most effective. Like our, we were, I think we had a party affiliate uh, following of like 3000 on Twitter in 2021. And now it's like 35,000 and Texas is behind us at like 28,000 or something. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's definitely blown out of the water. And the thing is in, in New Hampshire, at least the libertarian party isn't, really looking for electoral success as far as party members go, because in New Hampshire, libertarians who want to win run in the Republican party. And like a hundred of them got elected this last election in New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. Um, If they had run in the libertarian party, which a couple of them did, none of them would have won. You know, there's a guy who ran as a Republican. And then once he got in, he switched his uh, registration to libertarian and then he lost Mm. And then he ran again as a Republican and he won again. So it's just like, why, like, why bother these, to have the somebody, nice, These people you know. forget. They're, they're like, it's almost like, you know, somebody puts on like playing with a kid with peekaboo. You know, you're like, you know, they're like, I'm a Republican. And then you go, ah, libertarian. And then you go, ah, peekaboo, I'm a Republican. And they fucking forget that it's giggling. Yeah. They're like, oh, he's back. <laughs> well, you know idiots. what it is? It comes down to the simplicity of. There's two lines, you know, Democrat, Republican, <laughs> yeah. and no one looks over to the third one. Like, that's, that's yeah. really, like, what it comes down to. Yeah, there's a sad truth to that. I, I agree there. So, I, so different topic now, pivoting it to uh, some current events here. Russia has swapped Brittany Griner back with some uh, an arms dealer. Just think about that, right? Not that I have anything against arms dealership in general, because as libertarians and anarchists, uh, I think everybody should be able to buy the arms. So, more arms dealers... More drug dealers. I'm fine with all of them. But it is kind of funny that, you know, this fucking WNBA player who number one is an idiot. Uh, if I'm flying to Russia, you know what I'm not doing? I'm not bringing drugs with me <laughs> for obvious reasons. No, know, know yeah. where you're going. But they swapped out. They get Brittany Griner back. Right. And release this this weapons dealer. Number one, do you give a fuck that she's back? And number two, is this a, a massive slap in the face considering the, you know, the charges that she was on, drug possession. Uh, they spend all this, this time and money and, and international uh, hand-wringing to get her back. Meanwhile, we've got hundreds of thousands of people in jail right here at home for the same thing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, incredibly hypocritical. Um, you know, so we talk about Russia. Uh, you know, imprisoning Brittany Griner. And then we talk about the Chinese putting Uyghurs in camps, but we have more people incarcerated for, um, for, for minor drug offenses. And, you know, I mean, not just minor drug offenses, but a litany of crimes, many of which they should not be imprisoned for. I think mm-hmm. the United States is still the number one country in the world for incarceration. More we are. China, yeah. We haven't for a Russia. while. Yeah, we have so, it for a while. I mean, for us to be complaining about human rights atrocities when it comes to being imprisoned mm-hmm. for something menial, I mean, we have absolutely no no place to talk at all. No. Well, well, there's um, also, I don't know if this has changed at all in the last past couple of years, but I don't know if you knew about this. 
a lot of states, their relationships with the prison system is that they have contracts in place where they have to keep the prisons, you know, something like 90% full, oh, 90% yeah. capacity. So they're incentivized basically to arrest people for stupid shit and to sentence them and, and to ship them off because it's part of the state contracts. So, yeah, yeah. we have a, a officially a, a prison industrial complex for sure. But, but yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know. I just, I shake my head at, at the system. I guess kind of like we're talking about with the messaging in the party of New Hampshire, Libertarian Party of New Hampshire, though, it has struck a chord with people. You know, I have seen other people make that point that we have this large incarcerated state at home, how hypocritical it is to spend all this time and effort. And it is giving people an opportunity at least to weigh in and point out the absurdity of the system here at home. So, you know, that's thanks, Brittany. I guess that's the bright side. You know, we need more stupid WNBA players to get arrested for more dumb shit abroad. <laughs> Yeah, that's the she's, that's the lesson. <laughs> she she's uh, following the lead of the Libertarian Party in New Hampshire by doing something that's kind of dumb, but gets a lot of uh, you know international news and gets people talking yeah. about a certain issue. So I mean, it's obviously the way to lead. That's but you know that's how Donald Trump did everything, right? Like he would say something kind of dumb, but that was kind of true and got everyone talking about something, and then he'd get wall to wall news coverage about it for you know an entire oh, yeah. week. Never had to pay for any media. I mean, th- that's the thing to me is like, look, if you so the governor of New Hampshire condemned the Libertarian Party for the McCain tweet saying that, like, the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire doesn't even deserve to exist anymore. And he was on CNN <laughs> saying this uh, to Dana Bash. So I went on CNN and I typed in Libertarian and tried to find the last time CNN talked about Libertarians. The last time they talked about us was when Justin Amash um had did switched. His, uh, well no when he did his like little um uh what do you call it uh his little when he was looking into running for president what was that called his, oh right yeah when he yeah he was looking into uh a, like an exploratory committee exploratory which which was committee, yeah. by the way i think that was the first and only time that lions of liberty was on cnn or what are they like we got because he had he had talked about it on our show and we got uh, linked to all these big mainstream news uh outlets because of it yeah <laughs> So, I mean, that was the last time they talked about us. And it's like, look, guys, I mean, we either get attention when we have like a congressman who joins our party. Other than that, they don't give a sh- shit. They didn't talk about Joe Jorgensen. They didn't talk about us, uh, you know, introducing or, or really pushing for this uh, legislation that's been introduced to end the war in Yemen. Like they don't talk about not. any of that stuff. They just don't care. So you have to be a little flashy and you have to do something that's sort of on target that gets people talking about something that moves the ball in the right direction. So I, I, I approve of the messaging, obviously. And um, when I moved back to New Hampshire, they instantly put me on the board and were like, we want you, you know, supplying some of this stuff. So I've been adding my own spiciness to it. Um, <laughs> Brittany Griner. So, sorry. Yeah. yeah Adam, Adam, uh, our buddy, Adam Choi uh, says, Brittany Griner should move to New Hampshire and join the LPNH. I, I amen. <laughs> join the free state project, Brittany. You'll love it. Yeah, yeah, you'll you'll have a wonderful time there. Um, yeah, man, I you know it's. I, what do you think about the the national parties' messaging right now? Do you think that they're going far enough? Like, have you been paying attention to some of the tweets they're putting out? Yeah, I, I I'm good friends with Reed Cooley, great guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like a lot of the funny kind of uh, sarcastic stuff he puts out. Some of it is a little boomerish for me, but I mean, but yeah, I'm coming from LP New Hampshire, so like my my bar is set, you know, pretty pretty damn high but it's definitely better than it was before there's no doubt like i mean the way yeah it it's more pure it's it's less pandering yeah. yeah it's less pandering now i do agree on the boomer side of things i do agree it's a little bit boomery my thing is you know like i said sorry i'm banging my mic it's at that time of day in my house we're like 
the sun is setting outside my window next to me. So I have to keep adjusting my fucking lights because it's <laughs> um, so my thing is, you know, like I said before, though, I want to see it's still too much one note to me of complaining about stuff without a promise of making things better. I still think that's got to be a component in what we do that's just not in there yet, which is telling people like, here's the problem. Here's the solution. You know, it's like, there's just, there's not enough positivity to give people a reason to believe the party can solve a problem rather than simply un, you know, it's fine if you want to untie the knot, right? But what are you going to make now? You know, how are you going to, how are you going to make my life better? What are you going to do to put into place? What processes are going to improve here? And that's the thing that I just don't think they're, they're doing. Is that because nobody in the party actually believes they can actually solve any of the problems at this point? (laughs) (laughs) It might be. It it Um, very well could be. I mean, to your point about being frustrated and trying to talk about shit you can actually do to improve your own life. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't, it it was kind of depressing to watch the whole party this midterm election because I mean, I don't personally have anything against Chase Oliver other than he blocked me on Twitter. I don't really care about him, but I'm not a huge fan of his style of messaging. And I don't think he represents the best that we have, but he ended up getting like the most news coverage out Mm -hmm. of any candidate because he caused a runoff in Georgia. Yeah. So after the Mises caucus takeover and all this energy and all this money that's flown in, what do we have to show for ourselves in 2022? Chase Oliver. (laughs) It's kind of like, is that really the best we could do? I don't know. So um, I got to admit, like, I've uh, wondered if the so I, I'm trying not to sound like a post libertarian throughout this entire episode, because that's <laughs> kind of what I'm drawing myself as like that. I feel like Thoe Bishop has kind of drawn this conclusion that if you're going to run as a Republican, you basically have to sell out to the MAGA base and do whatever they want. If you Mm -hmm. want to be successful. And I don't think that's true because that's not what Ron Paul did. Mm -hmm. It's not really what Rand Paul did. It's definitely not what like Thomas Massey did. It's not what Justin Amash did. You know, there, there are a lot of Republicans who were in office who were really good and really pushed for the things we want and they got elected. So I think if your goal is to get elected, then you probably shouldn't run as a libertarian in right. just about every scenario. Maybe there's some weird fluke in a state where there's an unopposed Republican. You could be like, well, I'm going to run as a re- uh, libertarian against him. But like, I, I, and I, I don't think a lot of people believe that Dave Smith could win if he runs for president. And I want Dave to run for president because I, I mean, I don't think he's going to win. That's not why I want him to run. Right. Like to me, it's more about, bringing a conversation up that no one else is bringing up. Um, But I feel like a lot of people are really delusional about what the Libertarian Party's role is. If its role is to win elections, then I don't know. I mean, I I don't really have much words of uh, hope for you because I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. I I think the role of the party right now, and I've, I've talked about how I define success for the party right now. It would not be in electoral success in any way. It would be uh, party enrollment or funding going up. That's what to me would make more sense to judge it by. But yeah, I think that the Libertarian Party's sole focus, and I've ar- I've argued that they shouldn't even support candidates in, in elections, unless you said like it's a it's one that looks like a slam dunk they could win. I think yeah. it's a waste of fucking time. I'd much rather the Libertarian Party be more or less a cultural warfare association. Yeah, 
That's what I'd like to see. I want, you know, basically like say, what the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire is. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. War, but yeah. that's that's what it has to be, right? It has yeah. to be cultural warfare and put the money into that, into developing, you know, content, into developing short form, uh, you know, yeah. video content we could put out, advertising content we War could put out, gay, messaging stuff content. Stuff like that. Buy, yeah. Yeah, they, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Get, who's go after it. We'll, we can recruit that trans guy that's stealing luggage from uh, from airports. We'll convert him. <laughs> yeah, he can be our number one spokesman. But like, but you know what I mean. Like, it's got to be a cultural warfare because we're not going to win elections. And instead, test the waters, see what the impact is, and your your money goes so much farther creating broad content rather than solo election based content or throwing you know five thousand dollars behind some schlub in a local election. Get a smots. Get you know. Get you guys buy advertising. And proliferate it. You could buy advertorials. You know, there's ways to do this in in which you can reach populations and try to convert people over and create a snowball effect. You can now get more money through the fundraising and try to win people over that were like the flip floppers. And this is like, you know, all those people that voted for Gary Johnson, they weren't real libertarians. They were just voting for the anti-establishment candidate. I think it was the same for Ron, but a lot of people for Ron at least stuck around. And I would argue because he was talking about not only ripping down, but also the, the path forward, right? Yeah. So, yeah, give up on this election bullshit. Cultural warfare all the way. Let's create a, a mini series. You know, they can they can fucking back do nothing, man, and we'll go from there. But yeah, yeah. I mean, we I think there was like less than ten thousand dollars put into Jeremy Kaufman's campaign. But think mm-hmm. of the ads that came out of that thing. Oh, awesome! And the you know he wasn't allowed into any of the debates. Um, he barely got any mainstream uh, news interviews that they voluntarily wanted to talk to him. But the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire got, you know, tons of news stories written about mm-hmm. them. His ads went viral on. Yeah. I mean, they got millions War is of gay on and, several yeah. platforms, you know. So in my mind, from what we wanted to get out of that campaign, it was a success. Because a lot of people are saying, oh, you guys only got 2%, so you really didn't reach what you wanted to. And, I mean, it would have been nice to get the 4% because then it would have, uh, you know, given us major party status or whatever, and we can influence the Republican Party more that way. But, I mean, at the end of the day, um, who really cares if it's 2% or 4% or 6% or 8% or whatever percent it is as long as you don't win? Like, why does it... Exactly. Why does it really matter? And, um, you know, we... We had a specific goal that we were going to get a media, a mass media campaign to advertise the Free State Project and why people should move to New Hampshire and, you know, how awesome the libertarians in New Hampshire are. Basically, that was the goal. And Jeremy, when he agreed to run the campaign, he said, look, I'm not knocking on doors. I'm not doing events mm-hmm. like I'll, I'll run if you guys really want me to. But this is the way it's going to be. So there was like no canvassing. There was no. Um, you know, going out and knocking on doors and calling people and trying to get them out to vote. And I mean, good. Like, why do that? Like, well, that would have been such a waste of time at the end of the day. Yeah. None of all these ads are going to live on in libertarian lore for a long time. Like, they're going to be remembered, you know, not as not like the Giuliani moment, but I'm trying to think of another thing that's comparable. The, I mean, the war is gay ad will live on for a long time. People yeah. will always point back to that. And to me, it's like, yeah, that was so much more valuable and worth time and money than knocking on somebody's door so that we could get it from 2% to 3% at the end of the day. Like who yeah, cares, you know? Exactly. And it's like, and going, and, and I'd like to see the Libertarian Party national. That's just do that. Just do that over and over again on various issues, content creation. Cause then 
depending on how many people it reaches, number one, it's a tool everybody can use now in their local races. You're basically generating campaign content for people that can be repurposed. And, and you know, they could say test and say, look, would it take it? This is public domain for any libertarian that wants to use it. Put your campaign, you know, title at the front or end, put a message at the front or end, do whatever the fuck you want with it. That's that's free to use. They now have content to run their own platforms in their own little communities. And in general, though, you're creating a different cultural movement. And there are people out there who, without a doubt right now, like I swear to God, the next generation, I truly believe is counter running counter and like, you know, the the hashtag uh, resist. They are actually resisting the two-party system far more than anybody would believe is possible because they're, they've are they lived through COVID. You know, unlike their parents who aren't willing to admit what happened, these kids are willing to say this was fucked up. You know, they're willing to say both these parties are going to war all the time. Both these parties are cancel culture, censorship, uh, you know, monsters, and they're coming around. So putting this content out on the platforms that they view shit on, because that's the other thing, right? Running a TV ad is one thing. Putting content out on the web, on TikTok, on YouTube, on Twitter, that's where the younger people are. That's who we need to reach. Fuck the boomers. Fuck the millennials. Fuck Gen Z. Now is the time to reach these people. Yeah, and I most- think that the way the, that you're going about it and the way that, you know, again, the, the ads with Coffin did, I think that's the way we're going to succeed. Yeah, my most valuable contribution to the conversation uh, surrounding politics has been my video of me shooting an M1 Garand on, you know, yeah. bump firing it. That's got <laughs> million, probably on all platforms, probably tens of millions of views at this oh, point. Oh, yeah, man. I, I mean, it just pops up everywhere, um, you know, on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Reddit, Twitter, YouTube, you know, other than my channel. Oh, it's, like it's, it's a place. meme. It's like, you know, it's like yeah. a meme that you get, as long as you're allowed to send meme gun memes. Yeah. I mean, it's like yeah. the perfect gun meme. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that has probably done more to change people's minds than any episode I've ever done about why gun control sucks. And, you know, yeah. some, I mean, libertarians got to, uh, they got to remember that most of us didn't become libertarians. Um, probably because someone, you know, just convinced us it was the right way. The, the first interaction we had was probably something kind of brave or something kind of funny or something kind of different that just caught our eye. You know, that's always mm-hmm. the hook. It's never like, let me sit you down and tell you why the non-aggression principle is so important and yeah. why, you know, we shouldn't fight wars overseas. Like, I mean, that doesn't work on most people. Most people, they remember the Giuliani moment or, you know, um, even if it's the what is Aleppo moment, maybe that's how some people found out about like, huh, well, who is this guy? And then they, oh, actually, okay, uh, I don't know. You know, it, it's it's those types of moments that advertise us. So, you know, for good or for bad, that's that's mostly how you reach people is either say something really stupid or something really powerful. And if you're good, it can be somewhere in the middle where it's kind of like funny, stupid and powerful and pointing yeah. in the right direction. Well, I do think that comedy is another component, which I, that's something I, I really want to make, you know, put more time into is making funny content that's libertarian centric. Just pointing out, yeah. I mean, there's so many absurdities in the world that can easily be highlighted and pointed out in just short form comedy. And that's why I actually want to talk to Matt Kibbe about, um, pitch something to do with, uh, with his organization. But anyway, comedy, liberty, memeing. It's all great stuff. I want to wrap us up here, Reed, because I got to uh, I got to watch my my baby while my wife picks up my toddler. So, where can people find you now? Obviously, the YouTube page is back, but is there a permanent place they can find you? 
in any yeah, way. Uh, I'm also on Odyssey, Rumble, there you go. <laughs> Spotify, Apple Podcasts. I mean, I guess they could kick me off those too. But definitely good on Odyssey. Probably good on Rumble. Um, I'm the only Reed Coverdale and the only naturalist capitalist. So if you Google those, you'll find one SPLC article written about me. But then the rest is, you know, my podcast <laughs> where you can follow me. Um, and I'm going to be scaling back a little bit after Christmas. Just going to be uh, probably doing like a couple episodes every weekend or something instead of trying to because I've been doing one every night and have been up to like 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night and yeah. then getting up at four and going to work. And it's manual labor, not just driving a truck now. So um, I'm going to try to reassess that and figure that out. Um, but still going to keep the content coming. I'm working on some big guests. Hopefully they pull through. Um, Tulsi Gabbard finally come on my show. What the hell? Uh, you know, I don't know when that's going to happen, but, um, yeah, check it out. Maybe you'll like it. Maybe you won't, but, um, you, you don't know until you try. So give it a try. Thanks for having Amen. me on, man. Always good to talk to you. Yeah. Awesome, man. And, uh, good. I hope to see you again soon after the, after the cold, harsh winter is over. <laughs> Indeed. All right, buddy. Well, again, thank you, Reed Coverdale. Thank you all for listening to Mean Age Daydream from me, Brian McWilliams. Reminding you, join our Patreon, by the way. We're doing 15% off an annual subscription to the Lions Liberty Patreon, where you could get my Good Morning Fuckhead Daily Rants. You could get early access to these videos, live streams, as we're doing now. This will air next Wednesday, by the way, Reed. So uh, all of you watching on the Patreon got to see it early in advance. And, of course, you can get discounts at our Lions Liberty store. That's it. All right. So from Mean Age Daydream, from the Lions of Liberty Network, from the Naturalist Capitalist, and from, uh, I don't know, I think I already said Mean Age Daydream, but keep those electric eyes on me, babe, and keep that ray gun to both of our heads. <laughs>